There are a number of missing persons cases right here in the Carolinas, and some have received more media attention than others. These are the stories that tug at our heartstrings, make us pray it never happens to anyone in our families, and wonder if there is still any way to find closure for these missing persons and their loved ones. I'm Renee Robertson. Please join me for Missing in the Carolinas. Episode number two, Zeb Quinn. I can't really talk about this case without first explaining my personal connection to the city of Asheville. In 1988, I was living with my family in central Texas near the military base Fort Hood, so North Carolina seemed a world away to me. We had visited the state a few times, as my stepfather's mother lived there, and I remember the impression the breathtaking view of the Smoky Mountains made on me as we drove from Tennessee into North Carolina. When I moved to North Carolina with my family, my stepfather wanted to be closer to his mother, who was ill. I eventually attended college at UNC Asheville, graduating in 1998 with a degree in mass communication. Asheville is very near and dear to my heart. I worked in the restaurant industry there all throughout college and also worked at an ad agency in downtown Asheville right after college graduation. Asheville is well known for its tourism industry. As a teenager, I watched the revitalization of the city happen right before my eyes. It's also the home of the Biltmore Estate, a 250-room chateau that George Vanderbilt commissioned for his family on a sprawling 8,000-acre estate, which draws in more than a million visitors each year. I moved away from Asheville in 2000, and it wasn't until 2012 that I first heard the case of Zeb Quinn. By then, I was living in the suburbs of Charlotte. I was watching an episode of the show Disappeared, and my ears perked up when I heard the city of Asheville mentioned. Here's what I learned from that episode, and from subsequent research I did on the case. Zeb Quinn was an 18-year-old community college student working at Walmart on Hendersonville Road in Asheville when he disappeared in early 2000. By all accounts, Zeb was simply a kind-hearted, good guy. He took pride in participating in junior ROTC at T.C. Robertson High School, and he enjoyed the camaraderie with his fellow co-workers at Walmart, going out of his way to do kind things for others. According to his family and friends, 
he had been saving up money to buy a car. On the night of January 2, 2000, Zeb finished up his shift at Walmart and met fellow co-worker, 21-year-old Jason Owens, to go look at a Mitsubishi Eclipse that was for sale. He was never seen again after that night. From the very beginning, the story Jason Owens told about that night was full of intrigue. The two men were caught on the camera of a local gas station around 9 p.m. buying sodas. You can see them drive away from the store separately, Zeb in his Mazda protege and Jason in his pickup truck. Jason claimed Zeb flashed his lights at Jason, indicating he needed to pull over at some point during the evening. Zeb told Jason he had received a page and needed to find a payphone to make a call. This was before the convenience of cell phones. Jason said he waited for Zeb to return from making that call, and that when Zeb came back, he was driving erratically and actually rear-ended Jason's truck. Zeb promised to pay for any damages, and then drove away without ever looking at the car that was for sale or explaining to Jason what was wrong. In the early morning hours of January 3rd, Jason turned up at a local hospital with head injuries and a broken rib he claimed were related to a separate car crash that happened that night. When investigators later questioned him about Zeb's disappearance, he said the accident happened outside of a local Waffle House, a few miles down the road from where he had last seen Zeb. But police couldn't find any record of an accident reported during that time and at that location. I haven't been able to find any information on whether or not the police could corroborate the story of these two accidents. Jason also called Walmart two days after Zeb disappeared, claiming to be Zeb, and stating that he wouldn't be able to make it to work that day. The manager who took the call knew it wasn't Zeb's voice and had the call traced back to a local Volvo plant where Jason happened to work. When police later questioned him about making the call, he admitted to it, saying that Zeb had asked him to do it as a favor. Zeb's mom reported him missing to the police department on January 4th, and Jason stopped cooperating with the police investigation shortly after that. The case continued to baffle investigators and Zeb's family. On January 16th, Zeb's Mazda protege turns up in the parking lot of a local barbecue restaurant. Inside was a hotel key card, a live Labrador puppy, some empty drink bottles, and a jacket that did not belong to Zeb. Someone had also drawn a pair of lips on the back windshield of the car, along with two exclamation marks in lipstick. The location where the car was found was also very close to the hospital where Zeb's grandmother, mother, and sister all worked as nurses, leaving investigators to wonder if it was left in that location on purpose so the family would see it. As for the puppy left inside of the car, one of the investigators eventually adopted it. The episode of Disappeared that featured Zeb's case presented several different odd occurrences that happened around the time Zeb went missing. First of all, Zeb had developed a friendship with a young woman who also had a toddler, and the young woman's boyfriend didn't like the fact that she was spending time with Zeb and talking on the phone with him frequently. Police questioned the young woman and her boyfriend to see if they had any information about Zeb's whereabouts, but nothing turned up from that line of questioning. They also traced the page that Zeb got the night he was last seen with Jason. Interestingly enough, the call came from the home of Zeb's paternal aunt. 
She claimed to be having dinner with friends elsewhere during the time the page was made from her home. She later filed a police report, claiming her home had been burglarized while she was at the dinner. After the initial investigation, Seb's case went cold. Over the years, Jason Owens had numerous run-ins with law enforcement, from being charged with possession of stolen goods to intent to distribute prescription drugs and also being involved in a police chase in 2007 while driving with a revoked license. To Zeb's loved ones, it seemed the mystery of his disappearance would never be solved. That is, until a couple with ties to Hollywood also went missing in North Carolina. The link between Zeb Quinn and this couple, J.T. and Christy Codd, was none other than Jason Owens. And now, a word from our sponsor. By day, I work as a journalist and magazine editor, but I also enjoy creative writing and entering writing contests. If you like writing flash fiction and creative nonfiction, you should check out the contests over at WOW Women on Writing. They hold quarterly flash fiction contests where you can enter stories with a minimum of 250 words and a maximum of 750 and quarterly creative nonfiction essay contests. The entry fees for these contests are very reasonable, and you can also purchase a critique to get more feedback on your writing once the contests conclude. Enter for your chance to win a variety of prizes, from cash to prizes donated by WOW partners that will help you improve your writing game. And the winners are also published and interviewed on the site. Learn more at wow-womenonwriting.com and click on the contest tab. And now, let's get back to the show. In 2015, JT and Christy Codd were happily settled into Leicester, North Carolina, a rural suburb of Asheville. Having both been involved in the TV and film industry, the married couple had moved to North Carolina for a more low-key lifestyle, traveling when they had to for their respective jobs. 45-year-old JT worked as a grip in the film industry, while 38-year-old Christy was a celebrity chef and caterer. Back in 2012, she was even a contestant on the Food Network show, Food Network Star. The two were expecting their first child and wanted to raise their family in the quiet and serene mountains of Asheville. Family members became concerned in March of 2015 when they couldn't reach Christy or JT by phone. Christy was supposed to travel to Mississippi for a catering job and never arrived. Her father called one of their neighbors to stop by their house and check in on the couple. When the neighbor arrived, she found a distressing sight. The couple's dogs had been left in the house unattended for days, leaving a horrible mess. The neighbor knew Christy wouldn't have left her dogs unsupervised. The neighbor who checked on the dogs was Cecilia Owens, who was none other than the aunt of Jason Owens, who owned a construction business and had done some odd jobs for the Cods after they moved to Leicester. The sheriff's department was immediately dispatched to the scene, and once they heard Jason's name, suspicions were raised. Investigators also received information that a man had been acting suspiciously and disposing of items in a dumpster in nearby Candler. The items disposed of were confirmed to belong to Christy. Based on the witness description, Jason was brought in for questioning. A search of his property 
led to some remains in a wood stove in a mobile home he owned, which were later identified as belonging to Christie and J.T. He was arrested on March 15, 2015. Four days after his arrest, the mobile home where the Cod's remains were found caught fire and burned to the ground. In late April 2017, Jason pleaded guilty to murdering both Christy and J.T. Codd. He claimed that he ran over the couple as he was helping them back their car out of a ditch, panicked, and dismembered and burned their bodies. He said he first ran into them by accident as they stood in front of his truck, and then, knowing he had hurt them, made the decision to back over them. But police discovered Jason had sold some of the Codd's possessions at local pawn shops, using the money to fill up his gas tank and then take his wife out to dinner. (laughs) By making his plea, Jason was able to avoid the death penalty and was sentenced to a maximum of 74 and a half years in prison without the possibility of parole. In court and after the proceedings, the defense attorneys also detailed Owen's troubled younger life, how he was born to a drug-addicted mother then raised for many years by a grandmother who beat him regularly. In April 2017, reporter John Boyle wrote an article that appeared in the Asheville Citizen Times titled, Can a Despicable Human Being Find Redemption? He shared his thoughts on what happened in the courtroom on the day Owens pled guilty to the murders. Boyles wrote, Owens did take responsibility for the Cod's deaths, and he apologized to their families Thursday. To the families of J.T. and Christy and their friends, I want you to know that I am sincerely sorry for the loss of your loved ones and the pain and suffering it's caused you, he said, facing them. I am grateful to you for the mercy you have left with this court to show me. I am truly sorry. Boyle observed that, It's always interesting to me how guilty murderers use such passive language, the loss of your loved ones. You don't hear them say, I'm sorry I ran over JT and Christy in my pickup, then backed over them to make sure they were dead. Testimony read by Assistant DA Rodney Hasty showed that's what Owens told investigators he did. He claimed it was all an accident, that he panicked once he hit them because as a habitual DUI felon, he shouldn't have been driving and would have been in big trouble for that. And so it would follow that he had to back over them, then cut up the bodies to destroy the evidence. Really, Boyles wrote, who thinks like that? Jason's defense attorney stated that they believed he was remorseful over his crime, addicted to painkillers, and had been suffering from PTSD after being harassed by police after Zeb Quinn's disappearance. Zeb Quinn Investigators wondered if they would find anything related to Zeb's case on Jason's property during their initial searches for the CODs. On March 31, 2015, police obtained a warrant to search Jason's property once again. Those search warrants released Monday tell us what investigators involved in Quinn's case found. Fabric, leather materials, unknown hard fragments, unknown white powder substance, metal and concrete are the listed items seized from Owens' property on that day. That search happened after one of Owens' unnamed relatives led police back to his property and said Owens poured concrete eight feet long and eight feet wide and claimed he was constructing a fish pond sometime after Quinn disappeared in January 2000. 
That individual also told police it was, quote, at a distance from the residence that would not be convenient to enjoy it from and was not completed and said Owens later covered it with fill dirt. Other things like plastic bags containing an unknown powder substance and burned wood near the concrete slab are also mentioned in the warrant documents. As for what those unknown hard fragments are, Asheville police won't comment any further. But in July of 2017, Jason was charged with the first-degree murder of Zeb Quinn. Yeah, Robert Jason Owens was the last known person to see Zeb Quinn alive. And just three months after Owens was sentenced to spend the rest of his life in prison for a double murder, he's now going to face another trial. Today, a lead investigator with the police department spoke about those recent developments. Investigators wouldn't say what the missing piece was that allowed them to present a case against Owens to the grand jury yesterday, but they did say that they were relieved to have a rest in the case. When local TV station WLOS News 13 reached out to Buncombe County District Attorney Todd Williams in January of 2020, he said the case remains pending trial and hopes to have a date set soon. He will not be seeking the death penalty. I find it interesting that Jason Owens seemed to have such bad luck when it came to driving and his vehicles. First, he claimed Zeb rammed into the back of his truck in January of 2000 then supposedly suffered injuries in a separate, but never proven, car accident later that night. His whole defense of killing JT and Christy Codd revolved around accidentally running them over with his car. I'm not sure if it had to do with his history of drunk driving, or if vehicular manslaughter was his preferred choice of a weapon, because it seemed like a convenient excuse. I don't buy it, though. I think Jason Owens was one of those truly evil people you do your best in life not to cross paths with. I remember a friend sharing an article about JT and Christie's murder in People magazine online after this happened. A friend of the couple was quoted as saying that JT was always trying to help people who were down on their luck and that the couple had given Jason odd jobs and around $7,000 so he could start his own construction business. The friend said, and I quote, you can't do that in the mountains of Western North Carolina. I don't think JT and Christy, or even Zeb, died because they lived in the mountains of North Carolina. Like I said before, I believe they died because they trusted the wrong person. And it's something any one of us could do. Geography has nothing to do with it. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and give it a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'll also be dropping bonus episodes a few times a month, so hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode. If you want to visit my blog and read more about true crime cases from all over the country, including the ones featured here, visit missingintheCarolinas.com. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WOW! Women on Writing, and the great programs and writing contests they have to support writers at www.wow-womenonwriting.com. Cover art for this podcast was designed by Macintosh Multimedia. All episodes are researched and written by me, Renee Robertson, with sound editing provided by Mia Robertson. Join me next week where I'll be bringing you an episode from an area very close to my home in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you again for listening.